Right, we're in the last week of a series that we've been calling In This House. And we've been talking about the things that make Action Church, Action Church. We've been talking about kind of our lines in the sand, if you will, on what makes the vision of Action Church so unique for this area. When we, didn't, we started this church, Canton didn't need another church. It, hey, we just going to talk out there all day or we're going to let me preach? We're good? I love y'all. But man, I can't preach when you're louder than me. When we started this church, Canton didn't need another church. There was churches. There still are churches on every corner. Man, if you like big churches, there's big churches. If you like small churches, there's small churches. There's every type of church you could ever want in this community. But we knew that Canton needed a place where those far from God, those burned out by the church, maybe those who don't even believe there is a God, can come and feel accepted, and feel welcomed, and they can hear the truths about God at their own pace. And that's what Action Church is all about. We started this church with some unique visions. We talked about how we want to be a place where there is no judgment. You can come just as you are, man. It doesn't matter your background. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the various, for lack of a better word, the various values that we hold true, kind of the things that fuel us, the skeleton, if you will, of what makes Action Church, Action Church. And I could go on and do this series for two or three months because there's so many lines in the sand for us. There's so many values that we hold true to. But we just wanted to highlight a few of them. Next week, we're starting a new series. We're doing something I've never done ever in 23 years of preaching. I've always been a series preacher, and I've taken a topic, and we talk about a topic, but I've never taken a whole series and talked about just one person, a character study, if you will, in the Bible. And next week, I'm launching a series called just very simply David. And we're going to be looking at the life of King David all the way from when he was a shepherd boy, all the way till his big mess-ups, all the way till his children rebelling on him, all the way to where he built the tabernacle. It's going to be a fun series the temple, excuse me, and we're going to talk about all the aspects of David. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. That's a powerful statement. I don't want to preach ahead, but that's a powerful statement. Here's why I want you to be in tune with that. God said David is a man after God's own heart, yet there probably wasn't anybody more flawed in all the Bible than David. There was no one who had more glorious mess-ups than David. Yet God still said, he's a man after my own heart. And we're going to be talking about that in the next series. But I want to close out this series in this house with what I feel like is one of the big four for us when it comes to values. And I want to talk about this. I want Action Church to be a place where you can forget about your problems. You can forget about your problems. Can we just be honest today? Life is stressful. That would get an Amen. Life is chaotic. Just day-to-day living, the, the tyranny of the urgent, the hustle, if you will, of Monday through Friday, of raising kids, of being in a marriage, of having a job, of having bills. Life gets crazy, and there's not a person here today who isn't going through some type of struggle. And we spend our whole lives, if you will, looking at various things that temporarily will help us forget about the fact that we have problems. For some of us, we bounce from relationship to relationship trying to forget about our problems. For some of us, we pour ourselves all into our work and success and gaining possessions and treasures, if you will, to help us temporarily forget about our problems. So many people, especially in our society today, we turn to drinking. The bar is the place that we can go to, and we, for a little bit, for a short period of time, we can listen to some music, we can get drunk, and we can forget about our problems. And people love to go to the bar to forget about their problems. But the problem is, once you leave the bar, the problems are still there. I was talking to someone this week, and over and over this person keeps telling me, we're moving. We've bought a place south, and we're moving south. And once we get there, everything is going to be all right. The problem with that is, and what's funny is, the person in the relationship with this person has a statement that I've used forever. Wherever you go, there you are. You can't outrun your problems because wherever you go, there you are. 
We're all trying to do whatever we can to forget about our problems. And the deal is that we have, as Christ followers, we have the most powerful thing there is when it comes to getting through our problems. Notice I didn't say forgetting your problems, but I said getting through your problems. It's funny, so many of us look to alcohol, but the Bible says this in Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Bible's basically saying there. It's not saying that it's not okay to drink, so don't get all freaked out on me. But what it's saying is what so many people are looking for by getting drunk, you can find it at a whole nother level, if you will, through the Holy Spirit of God. You can find that peace you're looking for through the Holy Spirit of God. You can find that comfort you're looking for through the Holy Spirit of God. The problem is, like I said, when you go to the bar, eventually you have to leave the bar and all your problems that they're waiting on you, except now you got a headache and you're puking. I know you don't know none about that. We need to understand something. The day you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he sent this amazing thing called the Holy Spirit of God to live within you. It guides you. It leads you. And if you surrender yourself to it, you'll figure out how to turn your problems. Don't miss this. You'll figure out how to turn your problems into praise. I wish I could give you a message today on how to get rid of your problems. I know what many of you are thinking, I can't. It's called divorce. No, that's not how it works. I saw a lady recently, and she had just went through a divorce. I love to tell this story. She was married to a guy for years, and um, I ran into her, and I'd heard she had left her husband, and she had lost tons of weight since she left her husband. I mean, she was looking good since she had left. You could tell she had a new lease on life. Her husband was a big man, about 350 pounds. I said, man, you look great. How much weight have you lost? And she said, I lost about 350 pounds. <laughs> I was like, oh. So, so, but man, we all have problems. I can't give you a sermon today on how to get rid of your problems. But I can give you a sermon today on what we need to do in the midst of our problems. And the catalyst for that ought to be Action Church on Sunday morning. This ought to be a place that when people walk through those doors, I don't care what they're going through. For 90 minutes, they can be around family. They can be around community. They can be around positivity. They can be around a place that for 90 minutes at least, they can forget about the bills that are due. They can forget about the relationship struggles. They can forget about the job they hate. And they can come in and they can worship God together. And the overflow of that, the overflow of that ought to be we learn to do that on our own throughout the week. There's power in learning to praise God. I'm not going to preach you today the deepest sermon I've ever preached. I'm going to give you a real simple sermon today. We might get a little Pentecostal today. We might get a little old school Baptist today. We might jump a pew today if we had a pew. But I'm just going to give you some reminders, if you will, on the power of praising God. See, we have this misconception about what praise is. Praise is not the songs that we do at church. That's an element of praise. But if the only praise you get is every Sunday morning for 20 minutes, and we're blessed with a great band that leads you in a powerful time of corporate praise, but if that's all you get, then you're going to be lacking when those problems come along. Praise is a state of mind. It's a way of life. It's where as a Christian, just the mention of the name of Jesus gets you into a mindset where you think about what he's done for you. You begin to think about who he is and what he is. And when you begin to think about who he is and what he is and what he's done for you, you begin to break the chains of your problems. You realize your problems may be big to you, but they're small to God. You want to get through problems? Learn to praise in the midst of the mess. Learn to praise in the midst of the problems. Quit dwelling on the problem and start focusing on Jesus. We are a negative society. We just are. I don't know what it is about our society, why we're so negative. We focus on the negative. We dwell on the negative. You can dwell on the problem all day long. Guess what? It don't change the problem. 
I used to know a guy who literally lived in fear. He was so insecure. He was so crippled by the fact that he was worried that his wife might cheat on him one day. I had to sit him down one day and I said, I need to tell you something. I said, she might cheat on you one day. What? What are you saying about her? I said, I'm not saying anything about her. She's just a human. She might cheat on you one day. And I said, but here's what you need to realize. The lack, they've been married 10 years. It was a huge issue in their marriage. I said, the obsession you had with it has crippled your marriage for 10 years. If she's going to cheat, she's going to cheat. You dwelling on it and thinking on it and being in prison to it ain't going to stop it. If she decides to do it. We live in the land of what is. We live in the land of negativity. Instead of focusing on what is, we focus on what could be. And what could be instead of the positive, we focus on the could be of what is the negative. Man, we serve a God who's powerful today. He's got enough power to get every demon in hell running. But praise is so powerful if we would learn the ability of praise. Now, here's the reality. I don't know what your problem is. But if you're breathing today, you have some type of problem. It's just reality. That's just the reality of the situation. I don't know what your problem is today. Maybe you feel lost. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel burdened. Maybe you feel stressed. Maybe you're living literally in a living hell. I hate that for you. I can't make the problem go away, but I can show you what to do in the midst of the problem, and that's learning to praise. We try to self-medicate, if you will, our problems. We try to come up with all these earthly solutions for our problems. So many people, their problem is a self-esteem issue. They can't even function in life because of such low self-esteem. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with addiction. We serve a God who can break that addiction. We serve a God who can help you if you would learn to praise him, help you see yourself the way God sees you instead of the way you see you. You have a problem maybe with looking in the mirror and seeing the way you used to be. You can't forgive yourself. Everyone else has forgiven you for what you did, but you can't forgive yourself. Praise can be a problem for your problem. It can put an end to what it is you're struggling. But you've got to learn to praise. You've got to learn that we worship and serve a God who's worthy of our praise today. If we're going to be the church, don't miss this. If we're going to be the church that God called us to be, we have got to be the church that when people come in, they realize they can forget about their problems for a short period of time. Because when they walk through those doors, scratch that. When they pull into that parking lot, there's just something different about what's happening. Ask yourself today, when was the last time I truly praised God? Because praising God's more than just coming to church, doing a little Pentecostal bounce. I just don't feel it at church. I'm just used to this background. Ain't it funny like that can only happen to you on Sunday morning? That would be a party when we pull in that parking lot. There ought to be excitement when we pull in the parking lot. I don't care what's coming through the parking lot, why they're coming through the parking lot, what burdens they have. The minute they pull in that parking lot, the Holy Spirit of God ought to be so thick and so joyous that immediately they're like, man, I don't know what's going on here, but there's something different going on here. I want to look at one of the coolest stories in the Bible today to me about praise. About praise especially in the midst of problems. I'm going to give you a reality check today. You think you have problems. You don't. I'm not trying to minimize what you think are problems, but I'm about to show you some real problems with a guy named Paul. I'm about to show you that if there was anybody who shouldn't be praising at this time that they're praising and dealing with the circumstances they're dealing with in the middle of that, listen, it would be Paul. If there was ever a reason for somebody to be a little bit negative and down on their luck and a little, oh, woe is me, it's Paul in this situation as he's with his boy Silas and they're locked in jail. Let's be honest. I ain't asking for what. But how many of you ever served? I don't care, man, if it was two hours in jail. Two hours. Raise your hand. It's action, church. Be honest. 
two hours into you. I've spent a few myself. A few myself. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ain't nothing good about jail. Horrible. I got arrested in Panama City Beach when I was about 18 years old. Sorry if your kids are here. For urinating in a public payphone. I don't remember urinating in a public payphone. For those, well, actually, I'm not worried about your kids because they probably don't even know what a public payphone is. So, all I remember is waking up in jail, and apparently I was so obnoxious in the jail that they then handcuffed me to the handicap bar in the jail, and it was miserable. I got arrested when I was about 16 years old for parking in Gainesville. Did anybody here go to Gainesville and Cruz? I used to go to Gainesville and Cruz. I think Kylie used to go to Gainesville and Cruz. It was a really exciting time. Kids, again, cruising is something you don't know about nowadays. Y'all too busy on social media to actually get out of your house to go cruising. But in Gainesville, you would start at the Burger King. It'd take you about three hours to go three miles down to the convenience store and back around. And I went parking. Or let me rephrase that. I attempted to go parking. I parked the car and immediately lights were in my back window. It was the police. And I got arrested for public indecency, which I don't really understand because I was in a car, which doesn't seem like it would be public, but it was. I'm just, I'm just letting you know. I get it, man. There's nothing worse than being in jail. And I have, I've never even been in jail overnight. So I can't imagine what it's like to serve time. It's just the, the walls begin to close in on you when you're in jail. And here's Paul. He's in jail. Here's Paul. He's in jail, and they're trying to execute him for being a Christ follower. If there was ever a time he should be without hope and without praise, it's in this situation. <laughs> Two dudes in the right but find themselves in the wrong situation. And yet they're praising God in the midst of it. Acts 16, about verse 25, says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Let's stop right there. I dig that it says about midnight. See, you need to understand something. That's a key phrase because sometimes when the night is at its darkest, the praise needs to be at its loudest. It's about midnight, and they're praising Jesus. When was the last time you were praising God at the lowest point in your life? It's easy to praise God when things are good. It's easy to praise God when things are great. It's easy to praise God when you got a job, when the bills are paid, when your wife's talking to you and you got $10 in the bank. We're so good at praising God when things are good, but the world's looking at us and saying, hey, I can praise during that time. What are you going to do when life throws you a problem? <laughs> the world, I love it. The other prisoners were listening to them. Sometimes our world wants to hear what we're shouting when things aren't going well. It's easy to shout when things are great. Listen, they know that we shout when we win the game. They know we shout when we win the award. They know we shout when things are going good. But here they are locked in the prison at the darkest time, and they're shouting, and check it out, the world's noticing the other prisoners were listening to them. Next verse says, Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loose. That's the power of praise. I, I've been on this, this kick lately of the power in my own time with God of corporate worship and individual worship. There ought to be a time on Sunday we come together and corporately worship together. But if you want to live the life that God created you for, you better learn to have some private worship in your life. Here they are. They're privately worshiping. They're getting on with it. And all of a sudden, man, the, 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 the essence of heaven comes along, begins to shake the prison, and the doors open. That's the power of praise. Have you ever walked through those doors on a Sunday? And this was the last place you wanted to be? Have you ever walked through those doors and you've just had a week? 
Someone's irritated you. The kids have driven you crazy. Maybe you know tomorrow's the first and rent's due and you know you don't got the money to pay. And the last thing you want to do is be here, but you come here. The band kicks into that song and the next thing you know, your hand is in the air and your tears are flowing and God is releasing you because that's the power of praise. I can't explain it. I can't describe it. All I can do is rejoice when I experience it. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew, man, oh, my God, the doors have been opened. All the prisoners are going to escape. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to kill myself. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're still here. Paul wasn't praising to be set free. He was praising because he knew he served a God who was worthy of his praise. Don't miss that. So many of you praise expecting something in return instead of just praising to be praising. (laughs) Don't miss this. When you're praising Jesus, it can give you even a heart for your enemies. They go say if you go back and study, normally the jail keeper, the prison keeper, was one of the most vile and wickedest people there were. His job was literally to make the prisoner's life a living hell. Yet he comes down and Paul stops him. Man, don't do that. We're here. We didn't go anywhere. Because when you're praising God, you want the best for everybody around you. See, when when you're experiencing God's grace, you don't want to hold that grace back from anybody. When you're bathing in the grace of God, How could you not want anybody, even your worst enemy? They're my worst enemy, but guess what? You're probably somebody else's worst enemy. Isn't it funny, man, how we focus on those who've done us wrong? When every one of our sorry butts here have done somebody else wrong. I could go down a list and be like, yeah, I should have done that better. I should have handled that situation better. Yeah, that person hates me, and whew, they're justified in that. We always want grace for ourselves, but we hold grace back on those that have done us wrong. But Paul was so thick in the grace. It's midnight, the darkest hour. He's praising Jesus in the midst of his problems, and the enemy comes along the joke. He says, hey, chill, breathe. We're here. We didn't go anywhere. We weren't trying to be set free. We're just praising Jesus because he's worthy of our praise. The jailer called for lights rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked him, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? (laughs) The outside world, whether you realize or not, is watching you. They're looking to you. And they're not seeing a lot of love and grace from those who call themselves Christ followers. Matter of fact, what they're seeing is people who act just like them and believe just like them, and handle situations just like them. So when they talk about the power of God, they're like, why do I need that? It hasn't done anything in their life. But when the world looks at someone, have you ever been around someone, the first church I ever worked at? I went on staff at that church. I'd been a Christian about six months. I went on staff at that church, and about three months into me being on full-time staff there, the pastor was diagnosed with leukemia. He was given a death sentence. I told him he had six months to live. That was 20-something years ago. He's still alive. But I watched a man during that six months praise Jesus in the midst of leukemia. He didn't, he, he, it's not that he didn't have fear of dying. It's not that he didn't go through down times, but always, and he was smoking what he was selling. It was behind the scenes just like it was on the stage. He always knew God was God whether he was healed or he wasn't healed. And I watched people say, man, what is it about that man that's so different? I watched him when he went to Emory, and he was in Emory for almost four months. And I watched people after people give their life to Christ because of the example he was leading. He wasn't there feeling sorry for us. He said, man, I want to live. I've got, he had six children. He said, I have six children. He said, but man, if God takes me tomorrow, it's in God's plan. I'm going to praise God in the midst of everything. And when he did that, the unbelieving world simply could not believe that. 
and it changed their lives. There's power in them watching us. You don't realize who's watching you and who's not watching you. What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household. That's the power of praise today. You're focused on your problem. When God's saying, if you just learn to praise, I'm going to use your mess as your greatest ministry. But you won't accept that. You won't see that because all you focus on is the mess. All you focus on is feeling sorry for yourself. All you focus on is how nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. Does anybody know that song from when you were a kid? I'll bust it out for you right now. No, um, what I say? I forgot the song now. Oh, nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. That's some of your mindset. Down goes the first one. Down goes the second one. Big, fat, juicy worms. I don't know what that's to do with anything. But some of you, the reason you look so miserable is you're sucking on worms all day. you got a creator who sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, and all you can think about is, oh, woe is me. My life sucks. Bless your heart. Get over it. I get, I'm going to be as honest with you as I can today. You're going to say this is uncompassionate. This is not very pastoral. I don't care. Some of you need to shut up whining. You're not special because you're going through a hard time. You're just human because you're going through a hard time. There ain't a person here not going through a hard time. They just don't put it all over Facebook and whine about it and drink it up and feel like they got to let everyone know about it. They trust God in the midst of the mess because they know God is good all the time. <laughs> Grow up. But you just don't know, Gary. Bob. Shut up. You don't know my financial situation. I've been there. You don't know my marital situation. Been there. You don't know my kids. Been there. But I'm struggling with this. Been there. Done that. Got the t-shirt. You're not special. Life is so bad. Suck it up. Because for those of you who life's good right now, it'll get bad one day. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to give you reality today. It's easy to praise God when things are good. But faith isn't built in the good times. Faith is built in the fire. I mean, it's a powerful story. Paul's locked in prison. That is a problem. Yet in the midst of the problem, he's praising. Because Paul knew praise is more powerful than your problem. They say the best way to end the argument between two people is to stop arguing. Because it takes two people to argue. You ever tried to argue with someone who don't want to argue back? Who's the comedian says that every time your spouse starts to get mad, just get naked? You can't argue with a naked person. I tried that once at the Lamb House. It did not work. She threw up and then kept on arguing. You know, I mean, it's just like, you know. But man, best way not to focus on your problem is guess what? Stop focusing on it. Start praising. But I don't know how this is going to, that's called faith. If you knew how it was going to turn out, you wouldn't need faith. Some of you need to go back and claim that verse in Isaiah where he says, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. You might not sit around the corner, but God's already been there. Yeah. Problems are rough. I get it. But what would happen if we begin to praise in the middle of it? This ought to be a place of praise every Sunday morning. This ought to be the place where it starts and the week comes from the overflow of what happens here on Sunday. Let me, let me just be as blunt with you as I can be. Disney World ought to have nothing on Action Church on Sunday morning. This ought to be the happiest place on earth. 
I mean, when you pull in the parking lot, man, you ought to start praising. We ought to be excited about what God's doing in our life. It ought to be a place in the midst of the craziness for at least 90 minutes we can forget about it and worship a Savior who's worthy of our worship. We ought to be able to forget about the bill collectors for 90 minutes and praise Jesus. We ought to forget about our marriage problems for 90 minutes and praise Jesus. We should forget about the battles that are raging and come worship. Forget about the kids who are driving you nuts and come worship. Forget about your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups and praise Jesus. Listen, Jack Daniels ain't got nothing on praise. Some of you, man, you're bearing it. Boom, boom, boom. I just forget about the pain until you sober up. And there's bigger and bigger than ever. There's power in praise. The Bulldogs ought to have nothing on Action Church on Sunday morning. Bobby Dodd Stadium. Well, it, not that it does ever have anything going on there. But if it did have anything going on, it ought to have nothing on Action Church. Lakewood ought to have nothing on Action Church. I've never, who, how many of you have been to an Atlanta United game? Raise your hands. I've never been to one. I, I, that's what they tell me. But I'm not a communist, so I don't play soccer. So I ain't been to one. But here's the deal. I watch what happens before that soccer game. Get on YouTube. Man, the pregame parties and what happens in the parking lot and what happens during the game. Man, I could give two rips about soccer, but I, wanna go, I tell Chris, I want to go to a soccer game. Because I want to experience that excitement of what's going on. But the Atlanta United ought to have nothing on what goes on here. When this band hits the stage and that countdown timer hits zero, you ought, I'm, I'm, don't tell me you got bad legs, shut up. Don't tell me you got a bad back, shut up. Get off your feet and worship Jesus because he's worthy to be worshipped. You ought to be high-fiving people when they come through that door. People that walk around during the... I don't, why come to church? I'm just being honest. I don't get it. Those of you that want to stay out there while halfway through the, the, the musical portions, you're missing out on the ability to praise Jesus, to get your mind right. There's power in music. And what's funny is it's always the negative people who leave with all the problems in the world who miss out on it. I sit back and just watch it. This place ought to be a place of excitement. This place ought to be on fire. And if it ever became that, we'd have to go to two services, three services to hold all the people because we live in a day and time where people want to be uplifted, but it's going to take us being uplifting to do that. You say, Gary, that sounds great. Sounds super. I'm just not wired that way. I get it. Everyone's not going to be me. Everyone's not going to be jumping up and down. But that doesn't mean you can't have positivity in your life, focus in your life, praise in your life. We just need some reminders of some things. And I want to give you some things as I look at this story that maybe help you get your mind focused today on creating a place where people can forget their problems. But in order for it to be a place where people forget their problems, it's got to be a place where people can forget their problems. When you're focusing on their problems, everybody seems like their dog died. It ain't a place you want to forget your problems. This ought to be the happiest place on earth. We need to remember some things. I want you to notice today, first of all, the inspiration of their praise. The inspiration of their praise. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. When you're in the midst of your problems... Praise does not come naturally. You've got to be inspired, if you will, to praise. If you're going to sing in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the habits, in the midst of the hang-ups, in the midst of the hell that you're going through, you've got to be inspired to sing. They were singing, Paul was singing, Saul, Silas was singing. Here's why they were singing, don't miss this, because they had a song to sing. They knew what God had done for them in their life. 
The biggest problem for so many of us is we get over what God's done for us. We forget where God's brought us. We forgot what God did for us. We forgot that we were on our way to a devil's hell and we were stuck in the muck and the mire and God reached down, pulled us up, and he placed our feet on a solid rock. You've gotten over the greatest thing that ever happened to you. That's why most of your marriages are falling apart. You got over how great your marriage was and started focusing on the new or the old. You got content in your marriage and you got content in your relationship with God. I want you to think about something. The God of the universe, the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who took nothing and formed everything, loved you so much that he sent his only son to live on this earth, to live a sinless life and a perfect life, to pay the price you couldn't pay for a debt he didn't know. And you can't praise today? I just need to be inspired. Get back to thinking about what you were before God came along. I just can't get over it. I, I remember what I was before I met God. I remember where I was headed before I met God. I love that they're singing to God. There's a big debate in the church today. Modern worship versus traditional worship. I could give two rips on which one you like. That's cool. I will say this, though. One thing I like about modern worship is most of the time the songs are sung directly to God in their wording, where a lot of times the old traditional worship are sung about God. We sing to God. They're singing to God because he was worthy of their praise. Even in a prison cell, Paul couldn't help but think about the fact that he used to kill Christians for a living. That he was the lowest of the low. He said, I am the chief among sinners. And yet on the road to Damascus, on his way to kill Christians, God in his glory met Paul right where he was. Paul just couldn't get over that. If we're going to be in a place where people can forget about their problems, we have to be a place that understands praise, and we've got to be inspired. Some of you need to go back to what you were B.C., before Christ. That doesn't mean your life is all honeycomb and unicorn farts today. But what it does mean is there's something different about you. You have a peace that you never had. You have a purpose that you never had. There's just something in you that makes it all different. It doesn't mean you don't go through hard times, but you realize that the God of the universe loved you so. Now I think, man, where God's brought me. Now let me make this clear, man. My stuff has been public. I am far from perfect. I am far from not messing up. But I'm not what I used to be. I'm not headed where I used to be headed. And I can't get over that. That in the midst of my craziness and my mistakes and my messes, that God loved me so much. He formed me and he shaped me. The Bible says he has the hairs on our head numbered. For some of you, that's not a big accomplishment. But for some of you, man, that's pretty amazing. That's how much God loves us. I, I get to thinking about the fact that we serve a God today who's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. I was listening to a song yesterday that I've listened to a hundred times on the way home, and I never noticed the phrase in this song. Um, I, I can't remember the exact wording, but it basically said, she's giving me another second chance. I mean, it wasn't a second chance might have been his third chance or his fourth chance or his fifth chance or his tenth chance you don't run out of chances with God he's a God of second chances and when you get to think about where God's done with you you can't help but praise God you can't help but forget about your problems this book is full of people that were messed up this book is full of broke, busted, disgusted people that God in his grace looked down on, that society snubbed their nose at, and God said, yeah, I'll use that one. See, we think God's looking for the most qualified. 
Because I'm just looking for the most available. I'm looking for someone who's willing to be used. I mean, think about it. Noah was a drunk. And God used him. Abraham was too old. And God used him. Isaac was a daydreamer. And God used him. Jacob was a liar. And God used him. Leah, like, listen, Leah, go back and study the life of Leah. She was just ugly. Like the Bible says she was UGL. Why she ain't got no alibi? She was ugly. Like she was so ugly that the Bible describes in the detail how ugly she was. I know, oh. But God used her. That gives some of you hope. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Yet God sent him to go before Pharaoh and be his mouthpiece. Oh, by the way, Moses was a murderer too. Gideon was afraid. It's okay to be afraid. You've got to be available. You just don't know what I did, Gary. God can't use me. No, 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 no. God can use you. That ought to inspire you. Samson, man, this will make a Baptist choke. He had long hair. Oh, and he was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Oh, BTW, if you look at the lineage of Jesus, Rahab's in it. She's in that family tree. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David, who we're going to start talking about next week, where do you start with David? He was a murderer. He had an affair. His kids were rebellious. He was a womanizer. And yet God used him. Elijah was suicidal. Go back and study it out. He said, God, just kill me right now. And God used him. Isaiah preached naked. Do you hear what I'm saying? He got naked. I don't know what was going on in his mind. Apparently, that wasn't too crazy back then. But if I preached naked... We would shrink even worse in attendance and I'd probably end up in jail. (laughs) Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. I mean, God can even use a midget. Paul was too religious. I don't care what your excuse is today. This one trumps you. Lazarus was dead. Dead. And God used him. That inspires me today. In the midst of all my shortcomings and all my inadequacies and all my failures and all the things that I screw up and all the non-pastor things I do and all the crappy things I do as a human being, God still uses me. That inspires me to praise him no matter what's going on. How do I praise in the midst of You remember what God's done for you. Man, The the inspiration of the praise. But check out the intensity of the praise. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Paul and Silas knew how to praise. I said this already, but I want to say it again. It's easy to praise when things are going good. It's easy to praise when your marriage is good. It's easy to praise when your children are being good. It's easy to praise when you've got a job that pays your bills. It's easy to praise, man, when you've got a roof over your head and food on your table and, like I said, $10 in your bank account. That's easy to praise. Oh, Jesus, man, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. 
But the minute things go wrong, like I'm not going to worship a God who'd allowed this to happen. Maybe your stupidity allowed it to happen. I've shared this story before. I got a buddy who walked away from God because he got a DUI. I don't know why God will have, hey, you idiot, God didn't allow that to happen. You allowed it to happen. You got drunk, you got behind the wheel. Man up and take some responsibility. But man, are you going to praise God when the marriage is bad? And I hear, I don't care how great your marriage is, there's going to be times your marriage is bad. It's called life. It's called two different people doing life together. Life happens. What about when you want to kill the kids? And don't act like you don't ever want to kill them. What are you going to do when you hate your job? Are you still going to praise? When you learn to focus on praising, you won't be focused on your problems. And there's an intensity, if you will, to that situation. Their praise was so intense. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Their praise was so intense that it actually took care of their problem. The prison shook. The doors opened. And God turned their praise for their problems into their purpose and a miracle. Don't miss out on that. There's power in praise. <laughs> they were praising Jesus so hard that the prison doors opened and they were set free. There's power in a positive mindset. Now, there's a theology out there. I don't want to get into theology because someone's going to believe this and you're going to argue with me. I'm not arguing with you. There's a theology out there called the word of faith theology. Basically, if you speak anything, you say I'm sick, you'll be sick. I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible supports that. But I do believe the Bible supports the mindset of positive thinking. I believe that the mind is a powerful thing. And I believe whatever you focus on and get your attention will direct the course of your life. When you focus on the good, good things happen. When you focus on the bad, bad things happen. It sets the tone for who you are. There's another portion of Scripture. Paul yet again is in prison. Seems to be a reoccurring theme in his life. But this time he won't get out of prison. This time he'll go on to be executed in Philippians. And he writes the church of Philippi and he just throws out some positivity to him over and over and over. It's positive thinking. Think on these things. Think on these good things. But he closes with this, chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, it's the last thing he's going to say. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What he's saying is, Think about the good things in your life. Sure, you can give me 99 reasons your husband is sorry. I get it. What would happen if you focused on the one positive? What would happen? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to beat you. Let's change that because all the women always think I pick on them. Men, you can list 99, pro, 99 things. 99 things that are negative about your wife, that she does to drive you crazy. But what would happen if you focused on the one thing she did that was great and you poured into the one thing she did that was great? I can't help but think that when you begin to pour into that one thing, maybe it would turn into two things, would turn into five things, would turn into ten things because there's power in positive thinking. We think the grass is always greener. And a lot of times it is greener, but we don't realize there's a septic tank underneath that grass. Man, there was intensity to this. There needs to be an intensity about our praise. It ought to blow the roof off this building on Sunday mornings. This was rock the jailhouse praise. Prison doors opened as a result. They weren't ashamed. They weren't worried what everyone else thought. They weren't concerned with who didn't like it. See, how do we praise Gary in the midst of things being bad? We get inspired to praise. There has to be intensity to our praise. Boy, this is going to make a Baptist happy. I'm going to point start with the same letter. Johnny Hunt would be happy today. Three points in a poem. I don't got a poem at the end, though. 
The influence of the praise. The influence of the praise. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. Check this out. You want to influence a community? Which is why we exist, by the way. You want to influence a non-believing world? Standing on the street corner telling them everything they're doing wrong won't do that. Arguing politics with them on Facebook won't do that. Quoting a bunch of Old Testament verses out of context won't do that. But praise will do that. The jailer saw the praise. He walked in there. He saw something different than what he was used to seeing, and and it changed his world. There's influence when you begin to praise. There's power when you begin to praise. People go through hard times. And they need to know they can get through that because other people have been through it and they're praising in the midst of it. Romans 8, 28 says, When in all things God works for the good of those who love them, who have been called according to his purpose. If we're going to be a church of influence, don't miss this, we've got to become a church of praise. We've got to become a church of uplifting We've got to become a church where people can come in and forget about their problems. Not that their problems will go away, but for 90 minutes they can come. You created a place where people could come every week for 90 minutes and forget about their problems. I'm telling you, you wouldn't be able to build a you wouldn't be able to build a building big enough to hold them. We live in a world that beats you down. We live in a world where our priorities are so messed up, there's nothing that it could do but be stressful. And you created a place where they could come and leave feeling better than when they left. I don't think sometimes they ought to feel better. We ought to hit them with sin. I'll give you a bunch of churches in town you can go to that to do that. I didn't say we ought to not tell them the truth. I told some of the dads, I said, you'd be shocked how hard I preach. I feel like I preach hard on sin here. If you've ever met with me one-on-one, I don't sugarcoat anything. But did you know that you can call people out, call their sin out, speak truth in their life, and still be positive about it? So how do we bring this down on a microcosm level here at Action Church? I've tried to end every message with just some very practical things we can put into place that help us here. First thing you ought to do, check this out. This is going to be groundbreaking for some of you. This is going to be the most novel concept some of you have ever heard in your life. Matter of fact, it's going to rock your world. Are you ready? On Sunday morning, the first thing you can do to make this a place of celebration where people can come and forget their problems, get here on time. Did you know church starts at 10 o'clock? Don't miss this. You know who does show up on time? First time guest. They don't know what's going on. They don't want to come in late and feel awkward. So they show up on time and they show up and the people who make up the church aren't even here and they feel awkward. What would happen if you started showing up about 9.30, 9.35 every week? Instead of rushing all around with your head, like a chicken with your head cut off, you were able to get your kids in there, able to get your coffee, be able to stand around, catch up with people, be able to come in when the worship starts and praise. Get here on time. I can't make you. But I'm telling you what it's going to take practically for us to be a place where people can come in and celebrate. Get here on time. You don't show up to your job late. I'm going to say this, and it's going to offend some of you. 
It's lack of character not to be on time. Because you show up on time to what's important for you. Take it or leave it, I don't really care. That's that whole thing, it's not my job to be your best friend. It's my job to give you some truth. Hey, this next one's even more groundbreaking. Are you ready? Get here on time. Are you ready for this one? Some of this, I've been your pastor for like 10 years and I've never seen this. Are you ready? Get here on time. Try smiling. (laughs) Try smiling. Quit coming in like you're miserable. Because I guarantee you when you walked in the bar on Saturday night, you were smiling. Oh, did I say that? That's the problem. Smiling at the bar on Saturday night lit you hung over on Sunday morning. Be adults. I always use Phil as an example of this. Phil is a professional. Saturday night, I've never seen a man who can party all night. How many of you ever seen Phil sing? I'm not, I'm not throwing gossip out there. I'm just being honest. How many of you ever seen Phil sing? That man can drink some whiskey. While, I mean, like, drink some whiskey. Wild turkey. All night long. Till three in the morning, pack up his stuff, sleep for, I guess, two hours. I don't really know how that works in Phil May world. And show up on Sunday morning, smile on his face, ready to worship Jesus. You say, what's the lesson there? If you're going to drink, be a professional. (laughs) Don't bring that weak stuff. It always makes me laugh when Phil's band needs a fill-in and he uses one of the action people for his band because I know they, they ain't got what it takes to play the next day. Phil does it every week. Professional. Comes in with a smile. Comes in ready to go. Gotta go, gotta go. Ready to hug your necks and worship and praise Jesus. Try smiling. You know what takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown? Like, that's a fact. Smile. I like you're glad to be here. Next thing, make it a point to meet someone new every week. Make it a point. Let me give you a newsflash. We're not that big of a church. It ain't real hard to figure out who ain't been here before. Just look around. Make it a point to meet someone new every week. Make it a point to meet someone new that's been coming here for a couple of months and you've never taken time out of your little clique to go shake their hand and welcome them to church. Mm. I went on a cruise this week with about 50 people from Action Church. And one person said to me, I said, so-and-so, man, I, I've never met them. And I'm, not, I'm not beating them up for saying that, but here's the deal. They've been coming to our church for two years, and these other people have been coming to our church for two years. I don't think they're bad people, but my point is if you've never met in two years at this church with 150 people, something's wrong. Meet someone new every week. And then last of all, I'm done. Act like you like being here. And if you don't like being here, go find somewhere else to worship. You just said that's a chat. I don't mean it even to be mean. Like, go find a place you enjoy being at. Why come to some place you hate? That makes no sense to me. Like, there's nine, over 900 churches in Cherokee County. Go find one you like. By the way, you'll be back. <laughs> they always come back. They always come back. In this house, we do some things. And life is miserable enough. Church ought to not be miserable. I'm telling you, this ought to be a place of praise. This ought to be a place of joy. This ought to be a place that people look forward to coming to. But it's going to take us doing some things. It's going to take us just just forgetting about our problems. Scratch that. You don't got to forget about your problems. It's just going to take us praising in the midst of our problems. 
Some of you have been through some stuff. I've been there with you through it. And those of you that are still going strong are the ones that learn to praise in the middle of it. Some of you didn't feel like praising in the middle of it. We've been there. But someone came along and helped us praise in the middle of it. place we can forget about the craziness of life for 90 minutes action church that would be on my next marketing campaign I've never done a marketing campaign for the church maybe I'll start one forget about how crappy your life is come worship Jesus in this house we do some things and that ought to be the one of the things that we do be excited about life be excited about the concerts you're going to be excited about the Soccer game. Be excited about the football game. Be excited about whatever. Be more excited about Jesus. The problem is so many of you just come here out of duty instead of out of pleasure.